Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. I'm there for the pack out. You just got to pack me in. Committed to the bow early on. Like, I loved getting close and putting up. You cover a range of stuff on here, too, right? Like, we call this the uh, the THP World Headquarters. You know, my grandpa, Roy Weatherby. I came into, like, that golden little pocket where there was, like, four or five different bowls. Just... You're Canadian? We're doing yeah, a Canadian I... podcast? My name's Douglas Bowes. I'm Robbie Denning. Roy Campbell. I slacked once. I slacked <laughs> once, and you already had it going, so there was there was no worry. You know, I did that on my podcast one time. I did an hour and a half before I realized that uh, wasn't recording. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no guff. Yeah, I did that too. When I very first started, I did it once. I bet you talk to anybody who's ran one, and they've all done it, guaranteed. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So. uh Mike, the last time we talked to you, you were, you were uh, chasing that uh, monster war pig. Yeah, you betcha. It worked out, obviously. We yeah. i seen the results. Yeah, it was the uh, four years in the making come to a head. I actually didn't think I was going to get them, but it did work out. That's awesome. So what was the, the, the what did he measure when it was all said and done? Well, you know what, he... Th- I don't want to take away from him, but when I first got him green scored, like he was off the charts big. He was like 22 and five sixteenths. But when, um, when it was, I send him away to a taxidermist to get the beetling. And then when, after the beetling, and it was quite some time, like I killed him in uh, June and I didn't get that bareback tell. Oh man. It was September, September, October. And it, uh, it was only 21 and some, I just don't know off the top of my head, but I was quite, I was actually pretty disappointed because um, of how big he was. And I have a 20 inch bear and I put these two side by side and you wouldn't believe that there's only an inch and some between them, but it's, that's, it was incredible. But I don't, yeah. I, I, I actually don't like talking about the, um, the measurements a whole lot because um, I was quite disappointed when I first heard him what he was what he finally went at and uh and i was like this can't be like is is the yeah. guy mess, messing with me because it's the the story and how big he was i i i i'm not embarrassed of him he's still boone and crockett he's still a great big bear it's just he lost so much that we either one the guy that measured it green was wrong or two when it was finally scored uh it was wrong and it just it deflated me because with black bears, it yes for Boone and Crockett it's it's all about the size of the skull. But 
the the bear itself and the story behind him i it took me quite a while to kind of the culture shock about how much he lost like he went from top five canada all time to just a great big bear and uh uh, and so um yeah he's 21 Uh, i don't have the sheet but yeah i want to say 21 and a a half or something he lost like over an inch oh yeah he's i showed that picture to a few buddies every one of them their jaws just hit the the table like they they couldn't believe the size of that bear like it was it was huge like it was the story about him is is so cool like i don't know if you guys know cody robinson the story about his big deer sleepy but uh, i did an elk hunt with cody and his camera guy um last september and i remember cody telling me about that that story and i was like you know i'm not taking away from your big deer but i said that the story you told about sleepy is almost like what i had with the with war pig four years of like disappointment after disappointment and and missing him and him being there when i wasn't there and and I went through the footage and I did actually see him one other time uh, a couple of years ago. But uh, now that I go through all my footage, but it was, it was pretty much right at dark. But anyways, it's, yeah, like it's weird how um, a bear like that could live within a half mile of my friend's and you know i haven't got them aged yet but we, we suspect he's probably 20 years or more oh. and they never once seen him. It's crazy. Yeah. Like it is crazy. Like, cause my first bait was really close to their farm, like really close. Like I want to say quarter of a mile away. And, uh, because they had, they're right against the forest and there was a beautiful, uh, spruce bluff that had no undergrowth on it. And that's where I had it originally. So for the first two years, he was like 300 yards from their farm and, but not once did they see him. It was crazy. Oh, Wow. Yeah. Oh, Houdini. I know. And uh, fellas, when I finally got him and I remember, I remember this, uh, I put my arms around him in the bush to, like to lift his head up. And I mean, I've killed some big bears and this bear, well, I put a tape measure on when I got him back to the, to the um, farm and we, we weighed him on the digital scale. But, but before that I went to pick his head up and uh it was so big that I couldn't get my arms around. So when I did get back to the, to the camp, I measured it. His neck alone was 43 inches around. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It, it was incredible. And like, I did all his measurements. I was going to do a life-size mount on him. His chest was 65 inches and his belly was 75 inches. Huge. Something else. I know it's incredible. And Something then else. digital scaled him at 500, right at 550 pounds. Holy shit. And we measured them at seven four. Oh Let's just God. what did yeah. you do with the hide? You, you getting it rugged out or I'm getting a uh what they call a um, pedestal mount with them. Oh, okay. Yeah, those I, was, are... I, I was gonna go with a life size and then I already have a three quarter mount bear here, so right. I just couldn't do another three quarter mount bear. So uh, or give this one away. So I didn't want to give like the, the, the three quarter mount bear I have here is my very first bow, bow kill. So I didn't want to get rid of him. So, um, I just called it my buddy. Who's kind of like a world famous taxidermist. I said, what would you do minus a uh, three quarter? And he's like, well, do this, uh, pedestal mount. So that's what I'm going to do with him. The, yeah. the, because I mean, I could have done his whole body, but it like, 
it was his head that I wanted to showcase. Yeah. And I took all the measurements, you know, uh, so that they can match it. Cause I, that's one thing I was specific about with the taxer. I said, you have to have the head exactly the way it was. Cause he had jowls on him. That was like, yeah. Think of that. Think of the most obese. And I don't want to call anybody obese, but think of the most obese person, you know, that you can think of and you know, how, how they just carry that around their face. That's what the war pig was like. It was just insane how big he was. Yeah. What a beast. What a cool bear. Cool hunt. Cool story. So how many days, like that hunt specifically when you got him, like how many days, how many days in and out were you going before you were actually able to connect with them? Well, uh, so last year, I think, I think when we talked, was it spring last year, just before we went out? Yeah. So just before you got him, I think. Yeah. Okay. So I think we were talking and I think you guys were having bad weather out there too, right? Like, so we had that bad weather here. Um, It was just like, it was about three weeks of snow before, you know, to make everything late. And then when the snow finally did go, it was just rain after rain after rain and wind was so bad. So when I did get them, um, I'd taken a week off. So I had three, basically three weeks of holidays at the end of May. And I'm like, okay, because he had showed up like, because it pushed my baits. Normally I have my baits in the bush around April 15th and I didn't get my baits in just like this year. I didn't get my baits in the bush until, um, May 7th last year. And I have to get them in the bush yet. So it's going to be around the same time. But anyways, so it pushed me back like basically two thirds of a, of a month away. And, uh, he showed up like three days after. So what I do is I, when I, when I put my baits in there, I don't even hang my stands. I just take and put my barrel in and then I jam it right full of frozen beavers. And I take a hatchet and I cut a couple of the frozen ones in half. And then, you know, it takes two, three days for that to to thaw out, but then it starts to stink. And, and war pig showed up three days after I set it. So like I was there like the, uh, seventh or something like that and set it. And like the 10th, he was already showing up and during the daylight. So wow. it was, it, he completely flipped for so the first three years that I, that I hunted that bear. He never once showed himself except for two years ago. Um, he, at the very, right at last light, he showed up and I passed on him. Like, I think I told you that story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, other than that, that's the only time I've ever really seen him. And, but this particular year, he was like, daylighting him like crazy so i don't so i knew that if i could if i could get up there i i probably had a good chance of seeing him in the daylight so i panned these three weeks towards the end of my uh, end of may beginning of june but the weather was just so bad like i self-filmed that that uh, hunt too so that added a bunch of stress to me because i whenever i want to take the camera out and do some video that was just like 70k winds with rain sideways and like literally every day i'm not even kidding about that it's just every rained every day and um it was it was sucking the life out of me and how i end up getting them as i spent a whole week so every morning every night in the stand uh, for, for seven days straight. And by the, the first four days, uh, I seen lots of bears, but he didn't, he, he disappeared. And his MO was actually, now that I kind of go through the history with him, is his MO was that he would take off kind of towards the end of May. And I'm assuming he's looking for sows and, uh, but then he would always show back up in June. And so I last seen him May 17th 
May 17th was the last time he was on, on, uh, on camera. And I showed up there around the 20th and no, a little later than that 22nd to, to spend basically two weeks every day hunting them. And, but I mean, the, the weather had me so demoralized and like I was by myself. And so not only did I hunt all mornings and evenings, but then I'm wet and cold and, and just nobody there really to other than Brenda and Danny, the, the, the farmers that I stayed at, but I mean, I had no friends or anything like that. And, uh, I, uh, was losing faith quickly because he wasn't showing up and I was seeing lots of bears. And there was another bear that had showed up that I really contemplated shooting, but I was like, no way I'm not doing that again. I did that the two years before. And, uh, so the weather progressively got better. The wind was still really bad, but the weather at least was nice. And at the day, the day I actually got them the night before, uh, I didn't hunt in the morning, which is weird because I always do, but I was kind of getting defeated. I had a conference call with a couple of really good buddies of mine and they're big bear hunters. And I basically just told them I'm done. I'm ready to throw it in. And the spares got me beat for another year. And they're like, you know what? Give it a, give it another day. So that next morning, June 1st, I slept in, which I never do, but I slept in. And uh, so about 11 o'clock, I went in to check the baits and I pulled the cards and I went back to camp. And sure enough, he was there at like 630 in the morning. And he and <laughs> he was he was like it was it was crazy. He was there for five hours and the bait was empty because I didn't I didn't like I think I told you guys this when last time I talked to you, like the little bears will clean you out. Like that's mm -hmm. the thing with bear hunting is if you bait, if you put 200 pounds of grain in your barrel, say at 10 o'clock by six o'clock in the evening, it's all spilt and all the small bear bears have it. So the bigger bears um, generally pick the scraps. So I think the secret to this particular bear is um, the people I stay with, they have very dear friends that are just a couple miles away. They have um, honey and they always get like in the winter, they'll get the, some winter kill and a lot of their hives and, and stuff like that. They have to clean out. So they pool that in, in uh, garbage bags for me. So I got this honey with these honeycombs and stuff like that. And I noticed the bears were really going crazy for that along with the donuts that I was using. But so June 1st, so war pig was there for five hours and I know for a fact the bait was empty. And I think all he did was just lick at that barrel and uh, because of the honey. So I was like, can you believe it? The first, like in seven days straight, I was there at three in the morning before, before light. And I would sit till eight o'clock in the morning waiting for him. And uh, so I'm like, okay, that's a good. So I sat that night, June 1st, and he didn't show up. And, uh, so I'm like, oh my God. So then June 2nd came and I did st st sit in the morning and it didn't show up. And, uh, but the weather had in improved way better. Like the wind was still probably about 30, 40 K, but it was like beautiful. It was like a typical June, June morning. And, uh, so that night, um, I think I had planned. Yeah. I had planned to stay at least another five days, at least another five days. And, uh, so I wasn't really upset. I knew that he was back. Thank goodness. That was the biggest thing is he was back. And, um, so June 2nd came and it was just like, matter of fact, it was like picture perfect. It was probably 20, 30 K wind, but the, but it was just beautiful. It was like things are starting to green up and there was just insane bear action. You could just tell that the weather had them all messed up and I had color bears coming and going. And I had like probably 15 bears just on and off all night. It was great. And, uh, 
But when he showed up, he showed up actually fairly early in the evening. He showed up at like seven o'clock and, and up here, um, kind of like it is there this time of year, you know, you, you can, you got good shooting light till after mm-hmm. 10 o'clock. And, um, so he showed up and he came down the quad trail, but I don't know if he didn't, if he knew I was there, the wind was a little bit bad. I will say that like it was kind of swirling and heading toward the bear, where the bears come. But I, you know, my bears don't seem to be bothered by my scent. Like they, uh, I've, I could have a dead wind right into their, down their trail and they still come there. I don't know. It's just, maybe they're used to me, but so I was a little concerned about the wind and he didn't come in. He, he, uh, would always just circle the bait. And so he, he messed with me. He messed with me probably an hour and a half where he wouldn't come in. He, he came in at one point. Well, when he first initially, when he first came in, there was no mistaking him. I was sitting up in my tree and I was watching, there was probably three or four bears at the bait. And I know there was a color bear cause I was, it was a young one, but I was, it was, I was videoing that. And, uh, I looked down the trail and I could see down the trail quite a ways because there was, because it was such a late spring, there was no leaves on the trees yet. And there was no mistaking. Like I've seen big bears and I shot, like I said, that 425 pound bear two years ago, which I thought might've been when him, what it's not, there was no mistaking this bear. Like he literally looked like a grizzly and he came down the trail where like the quad trail and he did the left-hand turn. I thought, here it is. I turned the camera on. I had one of those tree camera mounts, you know, and uh, a buddy of mine. And I and I had mentioned to my my friend about the, the because I'm trying. I was trying to make a TV show for this, so I was self filming it. But it was just so hard with the way the wind, w- the weather was. I I didn't get a lot of stuff. And I said to him, if War Pig comes in, I said, dude, I'm gonna shoot him with my bow, and I don't care about the video. And uh, he's like, well, the best thing to do is just pan out. As far as you can hit record. And with these 4k cameras, you can, they can, there's a lot they can do with the, with zooming in and stuff like that. So that's what I did. I, he was coming, I turned it on. I, I panned it all the way out. So I had a big field field of view. And then I just waited and he actually did a left-hand turn and there was just a hazel brush about 10 yards on the quad trail. So what I do is I come down into my bait i make a quarter of a horseshoe i unload my bait and then i come out on a different trail and then i drive away so i got like a little turnaround and he mm-hmm. came down the one turnaround and stopped at that hazel brush and he looked me right in the eyes and my buddy blair who's a big bear hunter and a big bear guide he's like muck if the, he ever comes in do not move don't reach for your bow don't look you know don't do anything until he's comfortable so i was just frozen my heart was just pounding because like there was no mistaking this was war pig and i was like that early in the day i thought oh i got this bear so he stopped and looked at me and i had no shot First of all, I, I I did manage to get my bow, but I was in no position. I did, I wasn't clipped in or anything. I just had it sitting in my in my hand between my legs because I didn't want him to move. But he looked right at me, and I mean, I was shaking, so maybe he heard that. And then all he did was backed up a little bit, and then he just went a, a semicircle around the bait, kind of like this big old tree, and then he just disappeared as quick as he came in. He just lumbered away, and he made a big circle across the same trail that he came on and then he kind of disappeared. And I'll tell you guys, like, I thought that was it. I thought, I thought I lost this bear. And to the point where I was like, I was like, I can't believe that was war pig and I'm not going to get him now because he saw me. And so there's a big beaver dam and water to my right. And it's only about a hundred yards long. I actually, I actually thought of this. I was like, that's it. I'm done messing with this bear with my bow. I am going 
to grab Danny's 338 and uh, there's an old spruce tree that was dead and leaned over and was I I looked at it a million times since I've been there and I'm like I'm going to lean up and put my pack on that deadfall tree and I'm going to wait until Warpig comes to the barrel because when he does come in he's there for hours it's like he settles right in but I he must know him there so I was like I'm going to give him his room when he comes in I'm going to cuz he's so big I said I don't mind shooting him with a rifle so I'm like I'm going to that's I had that planner right so I I had, I had written him off for that night because he he came and he was gone and so that was about 7 30 he hung around for about better part of three quarters of an hour and then he just disappeared and oh man i had bear action but i was just so i, I really was i was i was really deflated and i was making this plan for the next morning i was going to get him with the rifle and uh as quickly as he disappeared he showed up at about nine o'clock and but this time was different this time he he did two things that just blew my mind. The first thing he did is he showed up in the same spot he was when I saw him before, which is way down the trail, but the trail's a little bit higher. So I, it's almost like eye level. And uh, he stopped for a brief second and he stood up and he scratched his back like a grizzly does. Mm -hmm. And it blew, like I looked through my binoculars and I'm, I got pretty powerful. But I think I was using 15 by 10 or 10 by no 15 by 56 binoculars. And I looked through my binoculars and I could see him stand up and, and scratch his back on this big poplar tree. And it, like it blew my, I wish I would have had it on video, but it, because it was so awestruck, it was so big and just big fat thing that was scratching. Then he dropped down and then he came straight down that same trail. And it's the coolest thing ever. You guys, my, my trail camera took a picture of him as he, as he was, you could see him in the trail camera, look to the left where he's going to make the left-hand turn into the bait. My, my camera took a picture of him and then he came in and then he stopped at that same hazel brush and looked at me. But I was smart enough that I'm like, Hmm, he's probably going to do this again where he made the loop. He went into a, probably about a 10 foot opening. I ranged it with my range finder in advance if he did yeah. it again. So sure enough, just like clockwork, he stopped at that hazel brush kind of backed up like he did before and he went he went around the bait and that uh, I, I drew before he even got to that big tree and then I kind of had to wait and I had to wait for him this big old rotten poplar tree he, once he cleared that I let him I let it rip with when he was walking I wasn't going to let him get it off yeah. and I I I normally shoot lighted knocks but I, the craziest thing bad luck for me is I had my quad trailer and I had my quiver in the in the box of the quad trailer. And for whatever reason, like I run three baits, so I have to trailer to a couple of my baits. So whenever I load up my quad trailer, I just take the hitch off and I throw it in the box. Well, for whatever reason, I had my my quiver of arrows in there. I threw the receiver into the quad box. It snapped all my arrows off. Oh no. And 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 they were they're micros right they're the skinnies yeah. oh. and, and uh and they were the only ones i had light and knocks for but out of just sheer luck before i went up i over here in my hunting stuff i have over in my corner i had three arrows <clears throat> excuse me i had three arrows that i had from probably 15 years ago i'm not even kidding about that probably 15 years ago i had these arrows and they're like psc um 
something. It doesn't matter. They're three hundreds. And I took them up there to just practice with, because I, I just hated using my uh, unscrewing my broadheads and then retuning them all the time. So, cause I'm super picky about tuning my broadheads. And so I'm like, I'm going to take these up there just, just to shoot practice with. And uh, when I snapped those arrows off, I remember sitting in where I parked my quad in Danny's closet and we we're all just visiting. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't, I was so sick. Like I, I, I thought my hunt was over. I was like, I'm going to have to drive home and grab different arrows. And then I'm like, Oh, I got these three arrows and they were about, I want to say two and a half inches shorter than my, the ones I was using. So, you know, that would throw everything out to oh, whack. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but they weren't micros. So I think that made up the difference. They were regular standard arrows. And so I, set my target butt up in Danny's garage. And I said to Danny, I said, well, if I can shoot 20 yards with these things, then I can hunt with them. So I drew back the very first arrow, boom, and with the broadhead on, and I shot it and it just went like totally bullseye on this stuff. So I'm like, okay. So luckily, yeah. so luckily I had those three yeah. arrows and I shot war pig with one of them and they didn't have a lighted knock. So it was getting, it was getting kind of, you know, that dark time, like mm -hmm. not that I couldn't see, but I couldn't see my arrow fly. So I didn't know if he hit him or not. So I give him, Oh, I must, I, I know, I know I didn't give him very long. Uh, I just did a little thing for the, for the camera. And then I jumped down the stand and went right to the spot where I knew he was an exact spot. Cause I had ranged it and there was no blood. And then I rewind the video and I was like, okay, so I saw the exact trail that not trail, but where he went busted through the trees. And I followed that and there wasn't one speck of blood. So like, I was just so upset. And then, and then I was like, I heard kind of like a heavy breathing sound and because all my other bears, every one of them either did the death moan or they just like, you knew you got them, right? This bear was just like, it ran away. It was just dead silence. And so I, but I thought I heard kind of like a ah, sound, like, like exhaling sound. So I went into the, into the abyss and there was three bears. I remember, I remember this so vividly. I was so focused on, so what he had did is he had looped around when I shot him, he crossed the quad trail. And then all of a sudden there's like a, a big bear trail. So he jumped right on the bear trail. There was no blood, but I figured that's where he went. It's the easiest path for him. So I got on this bear trail and I, I it's kind of like, because where my quad trail is, it's a bit of a rise. It drops down into like kind of a boggy area where the bears come. There was three bears there. And I mean... I, I'm not even kidding when I say well, I was within probably 20 feet of one of them. And I remember talking to him because I was looking for war pig. And I was like, don't you bother with me. I was like actually talking to this bear. like, and they're, you know, doing the typical, you know, huffing mm -hmm. at me and, and carrying on. But I was so focused and I went down that and I was getting demoralized at this point. Cause there wasn't one speck of blood. And I was like, I lost this bear, the bear of my dreams. And I, I wounded him. And, uh, uh, I just kept going and, there's a deadfall tree over the, over the, the bear trail and I could see steam coming up. And so I kind of peeked there and he was just kind of, he was kind of just doing some, you know, death sort of gasp or whatever. He wasn't moaning or anything, but he was dead. And, and the reason there was no blood because the arrow was completely inside of him all except for the, the knock was showing. So that's why there was no blood because it went straight in oh, yeah. and, and, and he was oh. so, and guys, he's so wide that when I field dressed him, the arrow was completely inside him. Like there was no exits on the other side. The barrel, the bear or the arrow was totally inside his cavity. It was crazy. Wow. So, so nuts. I grabbed a, a, 
so it's funny because that year Brenda was like, you need to start taking a radio because you freak us out when you come in so late and, and stuff like that. So I grabbed the radio and, and I, I blinged them and she's like, Oh, is there something wrong? I said, I got them. So then I, uh, I uh, called them to bring in my quad trailer and they had quad ish. They had, um, they had quad problems on the way in. So I waited and waited and waited. And I was like, I'm sitting on the trail. So I walked back where he was, got walked all the way back to where my quad was. Cause I always hike in and I drove my quad into the bait. And then I just sat on the quad trail, uh, on my quad and like at least four or five bears walked right by me going into the bait. And it's funny because now it's dark and the cameras were snapping pictures. So yeah. I knew bears, bears were at the bait and I'm sitting on my quad, not running. <laughs> it's not running or anything like that. And I'm like, where is Brenda and Danny? And, um, it's a crazy story. They, uh, they had a uh, they had they had quad problems on the way in, but they also ran into a uh, a cat on the trail. And these people are the like the the greatest people you'll ever meet uh, in the world. Like I just love them to death. Like they're they're lifelong friends now. But they ran into a cat that was injured on the trail, and they thought it was their house cat. And, uh, so that's what took them a long time. They had to kind of deal with that. And then what, when they got in, they didn't have any electrical in Danny's quads. So they showed up, they didn't tell me anything about the cat. And, uh, we took a bunch of field pictures in the dark and, and I'm like, I don't care if I get back to camp at three in the morning, I'm this bear's coming out tonight with me. So we had to cut trail into where he was and we got him loaded. We took some field pictures. We got, Brenda did a really nice uh, prayer for him and uh, we got him loaded up. And then we, I thought we, I was going to have to pull them back out because the quad was acting up. We got back to camp and this is crazy guys. This is, this is true. We, um, back the quad up and we hang them up where we, where we weigh them. Danny's got a scale, a digital scale. And so I back up, we hook them up to the scale and we lift them up and, uh, we were doing that. And all of a sudden it, this it's crazy. Cause they didn't tell me about this cat, but the, all of a sudden Brenda looks like she just saw a ghost, like really. And all of a sudden she looks at Danny and Danny said, and she says, uh, Benjamin, and all of a sudden they both just act started acting really weird to the point where I said, what's going on guys? Like what, what's going on here? Their cat had walked into the, into the shed, which they thought was dead. And, <laughs> and they, they, they're like, mock. We, so then they told me the story and I was like, well, why didn't you tell me about Ben? And they're like, because we didn't want to upset you, you know, you had just gotten the barrier dreams and like this, this cat was dear to them. Well, it turns out it wasn't their cat. <laughs> so, but, but it was, it was so incredible that I, I, I actually picked it up. I'm like, what's wrong? Like what's going on? Like, cause Brenda looked like she saw a ghost and they had to deal with this cat on the way in. And so what had happened, we think is one of like, they're, they're so remote, but they do have somebody that's fairly close that kind of has like feral cats mm -hmm. and it just happened to be the same marking kind of a orange tabby or whatever they are. They think it must've crawled into my, into my quad. And then when I drove in, it must've tumbled out and got injured and they thought it was Ben. So when Ben came walking into the, cause their, their cats are very friendly. <laughs> when Ben come walking into the thing, they, they just literally thought they saw a ghost because they're like, I know Danny said, I know I took care of his cat. And uh, so I was like, I can't believe you didn't tell me, but they didn't want to take, they didn't want to steal my thunder. So, 
we, um, we, of course we tagged them and, and we weighed them with, so that we get a true weight of them. And then we measured them. We took all the measurements and then, uh, and then we just left them till the morning. And then I field dressed them in the morning. But, uh, I know that's a long story, but that's kind of the, how oh, it man. went. Yeah, and then how, do you cool. cut, how do you cut that short? That's amazing. Like, right. And you know, I reviewed the video not at the time because I didn't want to wreck the video, but when I got back to camp, I it's digital. So I could throw it into a, a card reader and I put it in the computer. And because the screen's so small on those cameras, I could see fellas. Like, I don't know if you caught the episode on pursue the hunt, but you can see the arrow goes just right. Perfect. Like, and I thought I did, I made a terrible shot, but it was, it turned out to be the most perfect shot ever. It just went right in behind the back ribs because he was quartering away. And like I said, it went right into him and never came out it didn't poke on the other side or nothing but that's crazy awesome and that's why he didn't bleed either because it mm -hmm. it was far enough back that it didn't it didn't like it, it double lunged him it took both his lungs out and that was the saving grace but he didn't he didn't bleed at all it's crazy yeah, well there's no exit wow. wound then yeah there's no you're not going to get as much hemorrhaging as as you do as with the pass through Man, that's crazy. And you know, all of... my all my other bears except for the one, I've always had pass through. So this yeah. really bothered me. That's insane. That it uh, must have been just massive. What kind of broadhead were you shooting on that arrow? Uh, hundred grain G five Montec. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I couldn't. I couldn't like. I, I couldn't have made it a better shot. Like at quartering away like that. Like it was, after I got to watch a video, I felt a lot better that I made a good shot. But yeah, no doubt. It is that's the one nice thing about lighted knocks. It, you know what I mean? Especially in that fading light, you can see the body. You can be like, all right, it's in the vicinity of where I wanted it or it's bang on where I wanted it. Right. And, and recovering them too. Like, you know, if you do happen to stick them and it doesn't go all the way through, usually with a nighted lighted knock, you recover your arrow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Holy, I was so stressed out. I thought it yeah. wounded the, the bear of my dreams. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. That sucks. Cause then you're tracking them and it's getting dark and the other bears around too. You never know what he's going to look like in the morning if he dies early and then he's there all night. Well, and that's just what, I mean, I think I told you the story about what Warpig did to my bear the year before. I shot that 425 pound bear, set it up for field pictures. I didn't, like, I didn't pack it out at night. I just set my buddy of mine, like I said, Blair, that told me how to set up awesome bear pictures. So I had him, I tagged him. I had him all set out nice for the morning, for the morning sunshine. We'll come back the next day and he's all balled up and ripped apart. And here... Warpig showed up on camera 30 minutes after I left. So Warpig had mangled my dead bear. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. Something else. Yeah. Well, good, good job, buddy. That's quite the, that's quite the adventure. Uh, four years in the making, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It was... That always connects where, when you connect after. So here's the, cra here's the craziest thing that to end this war pig story office. So a buddy of mine, he's a dear, dear friend of mine. He's the, he's the promoter of the outdoor show that I just at, was at here this weekend. His name's Darren Wandy. And he does, he does the podcast with me. He's my partner. And uh, so I, his boy just turned 12 or 13 and got his hunter safety. So I wanted to get him a bear really bad. Cause it's a bear is a really good first animal. And, uh, especially with, with, um, archery equipment. So two years ago, he didn't get a bear, but he only came twice. So I said, I want to get Nate a bear. So I killed war pig on June 2nd, um, that June 3rd took a bunch of great pictures, field dressed him, you know, cut up his meat, did all that stuff, got the hide prepared. And then I called Darren. I said, Hey, get Nate up here. Um, let's get him a bear tonight. 
because the weather was perfect. So him and and they they only live about an hour and a half. So him and him, him and his son come, and we go to one of my other baits. We didn't go to the bait where where war pig us guys. A five hundred pound pure chocolate boar comes in, like mind blowing. Wow. I even said to Darren, the two biggest bears that ever seen in my life have been in within two days of each other, and he was using a crossbow. The kid was, and the bear come right to the barrel. And they did, he didn't shoot him. Now, I think, so Darren and his son were in the two-man stand to my left. And I was videoing with the camera in the in a single stand. So I wasn't watching those guys. I was watching the bear. The bear chased off a small black right off the barrel and came right to the barrel. And I thought they were going to shoot him. Like, he was like 10 yards away. And they didn't shoot him, didn't shoot him. But I think they were moving. Like, I think Darren must have been trying to get Nate in a shooting position. Because the bear kind of looks up at him and then just turns around and walks away. So, so my target bear this year, and it's unfortunate because I would love for Nate to get him, but, uh, but this year, because I left my cameras in all summer, went to pick him up or pulled him last fall and he came back and checked the barrel and he's a giant, he's every bit as big as Warpig. His head's not as big, but his body's every bit as big. And he's really, he looks like a chocolate lab is so big. Well, that's cool. I wonder if there's some good genetics there that are being, you know what I mean? If they're related and all to have. I mean, big bears like that. That's exceptional. Oh, and, like, and I never seen eyes on that bear before. Like he just, he just showed up out of the blue. Like we had crazy. one, we had one picture of him at the barrel at night. And I remember saying to my nephew, Lan, and I remember saying, I think we have a big brown because blacks look black and colored bears like cinnamons and stuff. They look kind of white in, in, mm-hmm. you know, black and white pictures but i said this was kind of in between i said i think we got a brown bear on there only one picture of him and uh, and he was giant like but you know their bears are so transient i was like well whatever and i still remember to this day dare i remember you know kind of watching this little 150 pound uh bear black bear at the bait and i was looking and i looked and i'm like almost made eye contact with this bear at a distance and I looked at Darren, I'm like, holy cow, a great big brown's coming in. And I'm like, be ready. And uh, it didn't work out for him. And it's unfortunate, but um, he's, so that's our target bear for this year. We, we, we nicknamed him Vico. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. That's going to be uh that'll be a uh, good one. Hopefully I wonder how big, and you haven't seen him this year. So. Well, we haven't got up there yet. Yeah, so. right, right. But he, but yeah. he was there. He was there in July, August, because I left the cameras rolling. Mm-hmm. So he came by a couple of times. So if he survived, like if he didn't get, if he didn't get shot in the fall, or if he just didn't move off, he'll be there. But that's the thing about bears. If you like ours is pretty secluded area. If 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 the farmers don't have a pred, like if if the farmers don't shoot him with a with with their tag, um, they usually he'll come back just like war pig. So. Right. I that's our target bear for sure is Vico. Right. So so how far did you say those baits are apart? Like in miles wise? Yeah, like from Vico to where Warpig is generally probably six, you, six, six six to six to ten miles. Okay, so so a ways. Yeah, I was, thinking, yeah. I was wondering how like how close in vicinity those big big bears will get to what get to one another because you wouldn't well, think that they you think they'd be kind of territorial especially when they're that big well if you talk to a bear outfitter and i'm not a bear outfitter but if you talk to them they say they're very they're like a whitetail they'll travel up to 20 30 miles um but i think when they're big like you said i think they're very territorial like yeah. i um and the reason i say that is because the the 
I mean, we've killed some uh, guys. We've killed some giant bears out of that bait. Like Lan and my nephew, he killed a, you know, almost a 20 inch, 400 plus pound. I killed the 20 inch, 400 plus bear. Um, and then war pig was 550. The very next day I killed um, war pig, a great giant black was on the bait. I got pictures. I post them on Facebook, but, but so I, yes, I think when they're not a dominant bear, I think they wander around a lot, but I think because war pig lived right there, I don't think he, I don't think like people would have talked about him if they would have seen him. So he can't, he can't be too, he wouldn't have been too transient. I think he just lived there. And maybe when this rut was on, he moved a bit, but I think when they're the dominant bear, I don't think they travel a whole lot. I think they just run a kind of an area. Right, right. That's Especially why was... if they have everything they need right there. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because if you're the big, if you're the alpha, there's really no reason to move on. Like, but that's why I was wondering because, like, maybe you said he wasn't showing, but maybe is there a chance maybe that bear that you got the year before they were bumping heads, him and Warpig? That well, they had to because uh, they had to. I did have um see that bear was crazy because i didn't have him other than i had him on camera but i like i try to give my bears a name and give them a personality and Mm -hmm. that bear i i never got a chance to even give a name because he he was like warpig he was like very nocturnal and i had him on camera for a few times but never actually set eyes on him during the daylight so (laughs) for that bear that was crazy i was actually sleeping it was beautiful that day it was like plus 20 and no wind and i was listening to the crickets or the the frogs and the and the geese and whatnot and i just happened to look it was about seven three i, I shot him at seven i just kind of rolled my eyes open for just a quick second i'm looked staring at this giant black bear walking <laughs> in and i thought it was war pig at first and then when he got to the bait i was like mm, it might not be him but Anyways, when I, when I killed him, I was like, there's no way I could pass him up. Like that's, I, yeah. I, I couldn't pass him up. So, um, to have war pig rough him up the way he did. And I know it was war pig because where that bear died, he went down the quad trail, kind of where war pig came in, went up the truck trail and then did a hard right. So he basically almost did a circle. He was only 15 yards from the bait as the crow falls flies. And, uh, so when I set him up, like I said, I set him up for beautiful pictures. Like he's all splayed out. His head was forward. I was like, Oh, the morning sun's going to show. I'm awesome. And when I came back, he was all twisted up. Like his arms were all, and he was, I I had him facing North and he was facing South and he was all in a big ball. And he was kind of like, he was kind of, you could tell he wasn't ripped up, but he was like, you could tell something was biting at him. And, uh, when I pulled the cards, Warpig came in. So I I walked out of there at seven. Warpig was there at seven thirty, and then Warpig was there again at six in the morning. I didn't come until after breakfast. So it was a hundred percent. It had to been Warpig and him yeah. were were locking horns, and he must have just been completely insulted that that bear was still there. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Crazy. They're fighting for territory, and especially when you get that close to the rut, they're gonna the bigger ones. You figure are gonna be uh, looking for dominance. But you know what, like what, like that just shows the power of, of those bears and of war, of war, war pig, because like I weighed that bear that I got two years ago and he was 425. So he's a stud in his own right. And war pig had him balled up. Like, like if you were wrestling with somebody that was a hundred pounds less than you, it was crazy. Like he, he, he just flailed that bear around. It was insane. Wow. Yeah. You ever see those bears go out? Yeah. It's pretty gnarly, man. I think wow, that'd be an experience cool. I'd love to have just 
you know, we, obviously we can't, we can't be here in BC, but to be able to sit back and oh, watch, watch, you know, it. watch various bears come in, watch the interactions, watch how they play or not play, how they, how they uh, react to other bears coming mm-hmm. in. And I think the last time you were on too, you talked about how some just, they scatter and you're like, Oh, something, they know what's coming in. Yeah. They don't want nothing to do with it. Like I'd if, love to see something like that. It, it's if, crazy. If there's one thing that's crazy about bear hunting over bait is, is that what you just mentioned is that they know another bear is coming long before you will ever know. And it's just insane. You'll have a bear, you know, it's heads in the barrel and next thing you know, it's heads up and it runs and you're like, Oh, you, you know, something's coming, but yeah. yet you can't see it or hear it. It's crazy. It's I always amazing say, it's amazing too. They have the foresight to tell if that's a bigger bear coming or not. Right. You know what I mean? Like if it's, if it's heads in there and it's taken off and it just knows, it knows something big batters coming they don't want any part of it so you know you know war pig was so unique that i don't know what his obviously he's a big dominant bear but when he came in and and all the times that he came in that night uh and almost come in that you know the other bears never once scattered like if you look at like if, if you watch the video uh the final video there's a bear at the barrel when i shot war pig and he kind of stands up and looks at war pig as he runs away and uh but he didn't scatter i don't and that you know that two years ago when when i was with mike and and he came in same thing he they, they i don't know what it was about him but but it's funny it seems like the sows run off the non-dominant bears and of course the young what i call teenager boars um but you could, I remember years ago when I first was learning to black bear, one of the old guides that I would learn from used to tell me was like, you know, when it come to field judging a bear, they're like, you know, you'll have a good boar by the way they come into the bait. Like most of the boars that come into bait, they come in with a purpose and they, they truly do. Then I think that's why these bears scatter, right? Because when a when a big mature bear comes in and he wants to take over that bait or a big sow, they come in with like boom, boom, boom. Like they're intimidating just in their own way. And But I do like to watch smaller bears at the perimeter try to intimidate bigger bear at the barrel when they're doing their, you know, fake bluffings and stuff like that. It's kind of fun to watch because the other bear is like, are you kidding me, dude? But they're always trying to scare each other it's pretty it's pretty impressive yeah it'd be pretty cool pretty cool to see for sure yeah it's kind of like you see that with grizzlies too like when you see a grizzly walking you like he knows he's top dog he's not fucking around he just doesn't he's got no no worries in the world about anything he just he's cruising head down he doesn't care walking in a straight path and that's the way War Pig came in the final time when they said the camera took a picture was that way. He was walking with a purpose. Like the first few times he was really sketchy, but the last time you could tell that he wanted into that bait. And uh, and so he came boom, 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 boom. But then like he knew I was there. And I think that's the difference between all those other bears that were there. They didn't give a shit that I was there. But War Pig did. And he that's why he never actually came to the barrel any time that I was ever there. He never came to the barrel. He always skirted the bait. And uh, just because he knew I was there, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a good job, buddy. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So you're going to be, you're, you're heading back in here pretty quick, I guess, to what's the weather like out there? Well, it's nice now. It was 15 today. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, it has been crap. Like, we got a massive snowstorm a week ago, and it dumped literally in Regina here almost a foot of snow. Heavy wet snow. So it's a good million-dollar 
snow for the farmers, but it backed us up a full week of, of bear baiting. So I'm not going in until next Saturday. Me and my nephew are going to go in and throw in. I've got 25 frozen beavers. I'm going to fill the barrel right full of frozen beaver, and then I'm just going to let it soak for a week and come and pull the cards. Nice. So there's really only two times that are really good for bear hunting. Right when you first bait, so that first two weeks or so. And like, remember, I usually get my baits going in April. So that first, you know, May 1st to, to, to the 5th or to the 9th. And then again in June when the rut's on. It seems like when they first come out of the den, they just want to eat so bad that it, the hunting's spectacular. Yeah. But, the, but then they do, they they hit what they call the dandelion lull, which is when the things green up and the dandelions pop up, it seems like the bears, the boars disappear, but then they all show up again in June when the, when the, when the rut's on. Right. Right. Well, that makes sense. You adjust your, your baiting at all. Um, to kind of compensate for those times of year. Like you're going in with just straight beaver right now, by the sounds of it. Yep. Uh, when, when do you adjust or do you adjust what you're baiting with? Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great question because right now I'm just putting beavers in there and because they're, they're out of the den, they're hungry and beavers a natural source of food of theirs. And so I want to drive them crazy and I, I'll put it in a barrel that they really can't get them out. They will get them out eventually, but because I'm putting frozen ones in there, it's going to take them several days or, you know, to get them out of there. And it's just to drive them crazy for the smell. So once they get a smell and they're like, okay, because the thing with bear is they know that you're baits there and they'll come through even even in the middle of summer and you have no bait there they'll still come and check that bait site out and with the hopes that it'll be there so they're they're like i was telling somebody at the banquet there last night i guaranteed the bears that are out already that come to my bait are already coming to my barrel or my spot every night probably to see if the bait's out and uh so i'll put it out let it soak there i call it soak but let it stink and uh, let them move the barrel around trying to get the beaver out of there. And then when I come back, then I'll put beaver in there and then I'll start with grain. Like uh, a buddy of mine owns a restaurant and he keeps his fryer grease for me. So I'll throw oats in one barrel and with, with fryer grease and then I'll do the, I'll do the beaver. And the reason I say it's a great question is because about three weeks or two weeks into baiting, they don't want your bear, beavers anymore. It's crazy. Really? they want beavers early and oh yeah because i have this thing it's called a beaver basket it's a cage that has a, a, like it's it's basically checker plating or whatever but it's a it's a it's a cage and i put a beaver in there and they can't get the beaver out so it's just strictly for stink they can roll it around but they can't get at like the, the holes are there's a gazillion of them but they're not big enough that they can get the beaver out and uh and so it's just for smell uh, you could see in the cameras that early season they will, you know, dig a three foot hole in the ground just to get at that at that uh, cage. But in say middle of May, they'll they they'll they'll sniff it, but they won't roll it around or nothing mm. because they're on to like I I give them like donuts and mm -hmm. grain and stuff like that a little later on. They, stuff. That's right. They get into the sweet stuff and they really like that. But but then again in June they will go back to beaver again. It's crazy. It's, it's like, I think it has all to do with the greens that they're eating. Right. 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 They're getting enough foliage probably from, like you said, the Danny lions and all the green grass that's already popped up now. And then they want to go back to protein. Maybe. Yeah. I, I remember the very first beaver basket I put out, I actually chained it, chained it to the bottom of the tree. And I put that beaver basket in there at when I, when I went in there at six o'clock at night 
and they broke the chain at 10 o'clock and they disappeared. I lost that beaver basket for a whole year till, till the farmer found it on the edge of the field. And, uh, and I, that's how insane when they dug a great big wall or a hollow trying to get it. And they eventually somehow got the chain broke. I don't know, galvanized chain or whatever it was. But, um, so then now we raise them at, uh, we stand on the quad and we, we'd put them up high so that they could stand up and knock it around and stuff like that. But, um, I, I remember saying to Lannon a few times, like, you know, they didn't even touch that beaver and they'd be like, you know, two weeks, they didn't touch it because they didn't want anything to do it. They wanted everything to do with the sweets and stuff. So. Do you think anything has to do with the association? Like you got your beavers at first, you got your greens coming up and then you got your fawns and calves starting to drop in June. That, do you think there's a correlation there between them going back to the meat then? You know what? I That's, that's funny. You should say that because I never actually even thought about that, but it just, a light bulb went off my head and you're right. Calving is right then. Yeah. And I bet you that they're, yeah, hundred percent. They're probably, cause I mean, they, there's stats out there that say that, black bears are hard on the elk and moose calves. So, so that, you know what, that that's very, that's a great point. Like they right now you're, they could be getting easy prey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Never know. Hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. So is there, is there a point when it becomes too hot? Yes. Uh, And what happens is, is they start rubbing their hides. So, so I, I've said this so many times. I'm like, I don't know how they do it. They, you know, it could be 25, 30 above and you're in the stand in the beginning of June and they're just black as black and they're coming in and they're, there's like war pig. I got them on. So I got usually set up about five cameras at my, at my site and a couple of which I put on video, but they always burn out before the other ones because it take up so much data or not data, yeah. but SD and stuff. But I got war pig on camera in June. He's so fat and he's so hot that he actually leans on the barrel. He got the barrel kind of tipped over and he's like, you could see him like his mouth is open and he's breathing heavy. He takes his big freaking arm and he just kind of plops it on the barrel and he kind of looks right at the camera and he's like just heavy breathing. You tell that the weather has just got him beat. Yeah. So then what they do is they, they try to rub off that, um, that winter hide and, and they'll, that's when that's when it's too that's when you should shut her down because you really shouldn't shoot unless you're sustenance strictly for bear you shouldn't shoot them when they're rubbed because all you really have is the the skull then and you don't have the hide so yeah yeah but it doesn't like like say you get a really crazy heat spray or or uh, um you get a heat wave in middle of may uh, is there a point is there is does it for like baiting wise though, is, does it get to a point where it's just, it's too hot and they're just not interested in, in the bait if it's too hot or is it, they're always going there. As long no, as yeah. they're, they're going to yeah. go there. Yeah. It's they're They're uh, completely driven by their stomach. Right. Yeah. So, so no, I would say as long as you have food there, they're coming. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you said before there, one thing you said is um, they were hitting the bait. They were coming to check the bait even like just come check it to see if you'd put bait in there yet. So they must, they must, after a while, they must get used to those baits being there. eh? And they just, they know they're there and they're just constantly checking them, waiting to see when you're coming in. Oh yeah. Like, like 
when I was explaining how the kind of the history of Warpig, I said that the first bait I used to have was fairly close to, to Brenda and Danny's and their yard dog had passed away. And I remember Danny saying to me, Muck, you mind moving the bait a little farther away? Cause now we're getting so many bears into the yard oh, and, yeah. and, and, it, and for sure, cause it was like 300 yards, you know, in the bush, but it was like, I, like I said, when I was standing in the, in the, in, sitting in my tree stand, I could see the top of their, of their lodge from, and so I said, sure. And so what, what actually worried me was that we had to re- relocate that bait. I was like, oh my God, I just spent a couple of years trying to get this big bear and now I'm going to relocate. And, but he showed up right away. So it's like, right. yeah, okay. The, they were coming. So that's why those bears were coming to the, into the yard because the dog was gone and they were looking for the barrel. And when the barrel wasn't there, they just wandered into the yard. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I moved it, um, we were like another mile or so, or two miles, I think is what it was. We moved it two miles more into the bush and actually a better spot in, in hindsight, it worked out way better for us. Cause it, I think it gave the bears way more security in the, in the deep timber. And, uh, but uh, we were worried that war pig wouldn't come back, but it was like, it was just like, it was natural. And now, um, like I said, I left the, I wanted to see what we were getting for bears throughout the summer. So I left the cameras run all, and I went and got them in August and uh, it was just crazy. Every day there was bears walking by and, you know, by then the, the grass is tall and the green trees are all greened out and you'll, and you'll get pictures of these bears walking through there, looking out at the tree where the barrel was and then carrying on. So that's why I knew that big Brown was still around because I at least got three pictures of him. I know for a fact in July where he was checking out where the barrel was. Right. So when you're going in there every time, are you baiting? Are you bringing bait in with you when you're going in to sit in the stand? Yes. So, so I, well, the way I did it, because I hunt mornings and evenings, um, I was like, I would go in bait my main, what I call my main baits in around 11 o'clock. And I actually stopped kind of, the, the, the one that I'm going to hunt, I stopped doing that because the damn bears were the, the early bears were, were cleaning me out mm. and they weren't leaving bear bait for the bears that were coming in right before dark. And I wanted to hold on to those bears. So, so if I'm not hunting the bait, yes, I will go in around three or 11 o'clock and I'll fill up the barrel as, or put in whatever I want in there. But the bait I'm going to hunt, I don't bait until I go, I walk in and uh throw it in there and i throw it in there so i'll drive my quad in i'll throw the barrel uh the bait in the barrel and then i'll drive my quad out and then it kind of snafus them they think that i'm gone right and then i sneak back in and i sit in the stand because right. i'll tell you that quad is a dinner bell for them yeah i bet no it, it truly is like it's it's crazy next weekend when i go to bait and i'm not kidding there it's happened every year when i go to bait because you're in there for about 45 minutes to an hour, you know, putting your barrels out and dicking around. I guarantee there will be a barrel come in while I'm setting that bait up for the first time. It happens every year. Oh, shit. Yeah. Like I'll be, you know, you're making noise and putting barrel tying the, the chain to the tree and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Next thing you'll look over and there's a bear like 10 yards away from you. It's they're, they're waiting for me. You ever and get you a good bear? Like you ever shoot a bear when you're, when you're, when you're setting up or. You... Oh, oh yeah. If you got time, I got to tell you about a story exactly yeah. about that. Oh, so, yeah. so my nephew Landon, great guy. He's the, uh, great guy. And he's the guy that he wanted to get into bear hunting with me. So he's like, do you mind if I 
jump in with you and help you out. And I'm like, absolutely more and more, the better. So the first year that Landon got his bear, it was just awesome. Um, we, we went in there and, um, I wanted him to get a bear first. And there's this bear we nicknamed Brown face. He's just a jet black uh, bear with that, you know, that Teddy bear, brown, like the, your hat, like you see how on that bear mm-hmm. on your hat's got that really nice kind of like, yeah light brown we called him brown face and uh i wanted lannon to get brown face and so we sat at that bait for brown face and he did come in but he came in in the morning one time in the dark and he didn't stay until legal shooting in the morning and then he did come at night a few times but there again right at dark so we never got brown face but this other bait that we had it was just a new bait and uh it was awesome like it turned out to be one of our favorite baits but so I went in there and uh, Landon had to go home. So I stayed up there and I was just baiting every day, every day, every day while I was hunting for war pig. And um, Landon came come up the next weekend and I was still up there. And I had said to Landon, I said, there's this big boar that every time at 11 o'clock when I drive my quad in, he comes in and he comes like right, like 10 yards away. And I said, and he's got a big shaggy, like he's, he's got like a, almost like a razor back. He looks like a big wild boar kind of like he's a, a, we call, I nicknamed him shaggy. And, uh, but I said, he's, he's a big bear. He's 300 plus. And, uh, I go, you should shoot him. But I said, every, every day at 11 o'clock when I went to bait, shaggy would come in and like, just like clockwork. And I said, I'm afraid that if we wait, if we don't shoot him, um, he's going to hook onto a sow and he's going to be gone. So Lannon, but Lannon was also hunting war pig. Like it was, we had a kind of a deal that we both, if one of us got it, great. So Lannon wanted war pig too. And I, and I didn't blame him. So we were sitting together at our other bait where war pig was. And <laughs> Lannon just had a, just had a new baby and uh, he was just, just little, little. So um, I remember we went in at, I'll say a Monday and we were sitting at our bait for war pig, but we went into the other bait to bait. And I said, you watch when we come in, Shaggy will come right in. And uh, so we were just doing the screwing the lid off of the barrel. And sure enough, he came in just like clockwork and like, the, like right to the quad. So I'm not talking 20, 30 yards away, like feet from us. And we'd have to chase him away. And I said, Lannon, we you need to shoot that bear. Like we should sit tonight and get Shaggy. And he's like, Oh, I really want to get War Pig. And I said, Well, yes, but this, I mean, it was his first bear. So I said, This is a great, awesome first bear. And I said, He's guaranteed he's Pope and Young for sure. And uh, he's like, oh, I don't know. So we uh, we go back to the lodge, and he'll kill me for telling the story. But uh, <laughs> he uh, he just had a he just had a brand new brand new baby, and so we're sitting there. We're in a big like Danny and Brenda. They're they're deer outfitters, but they don't hunt for bear or anything. But so this beautiful like log cabin lodge, and in the spring and fall, nobody's there. So they let us stay in there. And so we're in this giant lodge that's just absolutely gorgeous, and we're sitting there watching TV and and his wife calls him and he just disappears upstairs. And, and, and this is so funny. So 
I teased him for a whole day. We got to kill that bear. Ah, I'm going to want to get war pig and blah, blah, blah. And you could, he was hell bent. Like we're staying there for three days to get war pig. Right. And all, and he, and so his wife, Lindsay calls him and, and they weren't arguing or anything, but he, he went upstairs into one of the rooms and was visiting. And then all of a sudden it was, I'm watching, I was watching wild TV or something on the satellite and Landon comes down the stairs and, and the stairs, it's a really vaulted, um, lodge like there's there's like attics and stuff like that where people can stay and there's a big staircase and Landon's kind of slowly comes down the staircase and he didn't even get three quarters of the way down he goes you know what I think I'm gonna shoot Shaggy <laughs> <laughs> and I was like really he's like yeah you know I was just thinking about it. why am I being greedy and blah blah well I know why he wants to shoot yeah. Shaggy <laughs> yeah <laughs> was voluntold to go shoot Shaggy and get home. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, uh, I'm like, okay. I was like, okay. Well, you know, you know the deal. You've seen it. I said for five days, every day Shaggy's been there. So we, um, we went in at eleven o'clock the next day, and um, Landon was. It kind of worked out for him because Landon did not want to shoot a bear from a tree stat. He was big on wanting to make a ground blind, blah, blah, blah. He, he wanted to be on the level with them. He really didn't like the idea of being up in a tree stand, which is fine. And so we went in with the quad and, you know, we make a bunch of racket taking a barrel apart and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's crazy, but uh, Shaggy didn't come in right away. And we're like, what the heck? I'm like, well, maybe he got onto a sow. And I was afraid of that because he'd been there for like five or six days, like clockwork every day. And so we we're kind of a little bit disappointed. So what we said is, I'll tell you what, we filled the baits up and I, and the, and the, and the, this is so funny. The, the quad is sitting right beside the barrel. I said, well, let's pull the camera cards and let's go up in the tree stand. It was beautiful. Like it was it was absolutely gorgeous. Not a, not a breath of wind. It was just picture perfect. And I said, why don't we go up, sit in the stand? We'll go through that. We'll put the card in the card reader and we'll go through the, we'll go through the camera cards and maybe Shaggy will show up. And uh, he's like, okay. So we filled the barrel up. We grabbed the cards. We put fresh cards in the cameras and we go up to the tree stand and we're sitting in the tree stand and we're, you know, we're scrolling through pictures and stuff like that. And I'm like, let it right there there's shaggy right there sure enough shaggy's on his way in and the little bugger comes in and um i'm like okay we got to make a plan Landon's archery shit's sitting in the on the back of the quad like oh no we, and <laughs> i'm like well okay well we know he's here so we can make a plan so i'm like well if he doesn't stand up on the freaking quad and i'm like okay, we got to spook him away because if he, like I just got a brand new seat for my quad because the year before that, Landon took my quad seat and the bears destroyed my quad seat. So I'm like, I don't want my new quad seat destroyed. So I we chased him away real quick and he only ran, well, I don't know, maybe maybe 30 feet and stopped because he wanted the bait. So I said, okay, Landon, we're going to drive the quads out and or the quad out i guess we were only on mine that time we're going to drive the quad out and then we're going to hike back in and maybe we can make a sneak on them so that's what we did we we um jumped on my quad we drove it i don't know two three hundred yards out of the bush and uh we sneaked snuck in and sure enough shaggy was on the bait so we we have a really good quad trail so we're sneaking down the quad trail and and um i say i say land and i said well what do you want to do? Do you want to shoot him from the ground or do you want to go up in the tree stand or what do you want to do? He says, well, I don't want to shoot him from the tree stand. So Shaggy kind of sees us and he just kind of, kind of runs, I don't know, 10, 15 feet, just around a big spruce tree. And we walk right into the bait. Shaggy walks about, uh, I don't know, 
to his left about three or four yards. And I turn the cat. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm videoing the whole way and we're standing in the middle of her bait and Shaggy walks under the tree stand and arrow and Lanham draws back and shoots him. And he's like, are you ready? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on. I'm like, like, we're, I'm like, not a great shot. Like, hold on, hold on. I reposition my body. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Shoots him, zips it right through. Shaggy runs off and I pace it off. Six yards, he shot him right standing right there. <laughs> what awesome. pin do you put him on? Yeah. All of them. <laughs> and, and it was kind of anticlimactic because it, just because he had, he was so, he was on such a routine, but Lana was shooting 80. 81 pound bow and it just blasted like right yeah, through away at six yards. Oh, it was man. awesome. And then we uh this is so crazy. So we've we 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 knew he was done because the arrow blasted through and we went and got the arrow and we did some video and we went and found him and we because he only ran 20, 30 yards, he was right close to the bait. Like we we skinned him out and everything right there. No, we didn't. We actually just loaded him up. That's right. We took him back to the ranch and uh um Lannon's like once we got him, you know, tagged and field dressed and and weighed and everything at the ranch, uh, Lana's like, "What do you want to do tonight?" Because like we were like, he got his bear. I said, "Well, let's sit, let's sit. I'll sit for War Pig tonight." And uh, he he Lana's like, "Well, bear action at at that bait where he killed Shaggy is so good." I said, "Ah, you know what? We made so much racket going in there, to, you know, with the trailer and the quad and blah blah blah." I said, "Let's sit for War Pig at the other bait." So we sit and. We had good bear action, but no war pig come back the next day. So we're going to head home now because we both have to work. So I'm like, let's fill the baits up. We'll pull the cards. You know, we'll come back in a week, pull the cards. And this is so funny. We're so we, we pull the cards, drive out with the quads, load the quads up. We're heading home. Lannon's now and Lannon's messages. His wife is like, we're heading home. He's got his bear. We get to the town of uh, Camsack and he's scrolling through all the, the camera things and he gets to the bait where he'd shot Shaggy and there's a giant 500 pound bear on there. And he's like, I told you we should have sat there. He was there at six 30 in the evening, like totally daylighted it. I could have got a giant 500 pair and no, I went and sat at the other bait. So then I'm like, <laughs> well, I go, well, what time's it right now? And he's like, well, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. I said, well, we got to go back and sit at that bear. At that. So we drove, turned around. He calls his wife and like, <laughs> honey, sorry, we got a big bear. We got to go back. So we turn around and we drive all the way back in there. And we sat there all day and he didn't come back in. But I was like, Lana's like, I told you we should shut. So anyways, that's a great story because he, Lana wanted to shoot a bear from the ground so bad. And he ended up getting a bear that is so, <laughs> so we, call, <laughs> so good. we, we actually call that bait. Now we call that bait shaggy bait because of the story. Oh so, yeah. Oh, no doubt. That's cool. Six yards. That's crazy. Yeah, it was it was, I paced it off. It was legit six yards. It was awesome. Yeah. And he just told me like three days ago, he just messaged me. He finally put a tape on that bear and he was just shy of 20. So for a first oh, wow. bear, yeah, for a first Dude bear. Excellent. Yeah, I know. Man, those are big bears. It's they crazy. are Manitoba. Like I'm, I'm like eight miles into Manitoba from Saskatchewan, and they just grow them huge there. I don't know why. Wow, I know. crazy. Yeah, something That's else. Insane. I definitely gonna get you out here next year to hunt one. Uh, yeah, man, that'd be fun. Because it because it's just over the counter. It's just you, you don't have to have an outfit or anything, so you can yeah. buy one. So yeah, that'd be cool. 
you got any more bear questions for uh muck i want to talk a bit about archery before we uh before we close out i'm i'm good with the bear stuff for now yeah yeah i I had a bunch of questions on the list but you kind of answered them as you're telling your uh uh your story there so i think we're good um we kind of covered all the all the stuff we wanted to talk about and we have the last episode too uh but uh yeah you kind of went over uh how you bait and when you bait and you kind of just fitted into that story that great story so that was awesome how's the archery coming well you know what i think uh i I, you know we're friends and you probably follow i had a really Mm -hmm. really struggle with target panic that's why Uh, i'm asking yeah like uh it's going good it's going very well now i had to had to go to a back tension or hinge release Mm -hmm. but you know uh i i was bad i was to the point where i was gonna step away because you know it I killed war pig with my bow and I, I shot him, you know, slightly on the move and quartering away and had no issues and no, no time before did I have issues, but actually I think my, my target panic, um, came from archery mule deer. I had, I, I, I got basically buck fever so bad. See, I never killed a deer with my bow before. So it was always just something I've always wanted to do. And I got a buddy of mine, let me hunt down in some country that they have. And they're just incredible mule deer. And I mean, I had a 180 typical at like 30 yards, which I would shoot in an archery shoot all day long. And I'd missed and I missed and I just kept missing deer and kept missing deer and kept missing deer. And it just compounded to where I think, I think I, I literally, um, I literally gave myself target panic Mm -hmm. and it carried over. I shoot a lot of competition archery and it carried over to that, to the point where I shot some of my lowest scores. I just wanted to walk away. Like, yeah, it was bad. Like when I say walk away, I was being, I was getting like, I, I can't remember the last time I missed a target in either target or 3d. And I missed a couple of times in both target and 3d. I knew that there was a problem and it was just because I was blamming the the trigger off so bad. Right. If it didn't go off, the way it's supposed to. So if I was shooting, say 10 round, 10, 10 shots, nine would be good. But that one, if it didn't go off the way it should, I made it, I commanded it to go off and it didn't matter if I was on the target or not. And I know for a fact, thinking back to it now, I know I was doing that to the mule deer. I know I, I drew back and it's not that I didn't see them. I, I just, I just, I just was shaking so bad that I think I was staring at the deer so bad. I was thinking about all the, what it takes to make a proper shot. And I was shooting high and left all the time. And I, mm-hmm. I, I got target bad, but yeah. I went, I've since com- completely switched to a hinge and I was, we had a really big ASA tournament last weekend that I kind of facilitated. And I was telling one of the people that one of my good friends, I said, since I went to the hinge, I can, I can legitimately say that I haven't had one bit of anxiety since. And, and I mean, my scores at first, at first were terrible. Like I was, mm-hmm. cause I had to learn how to do it, but now I know how to do it. My scores are actually coming up. And, and uh, so the, I'm, I'm hesitant to see how the hunting season is going to come. I think I'm going to go to a thumb release because mm-hmm. it's kind of in between, you know, the trigger and the, and the, and the hinge um, just because I think that I, I don't want to hunt with a hinge. I don't, I, I, I'm not comfortable enough pulling back on an animal and then not knowing, like, I guess, commanding it to going off because I would hate to shoot it in the ass or something like that. Just because it, you know, you weren't settled with like a hinges, even though I, I know for a fact that I can hunt with a hinge right now. I know I could, but I just, mm-hmm. I would have to, I'd have to see, I guess there yeah, are, hinges, yeah. there are hinges that you can get that have safeties on them that you can yeah. click. with. So I might do that. Yeah. Yeah. They do have, they do have them that you can, uh, you just hold it, you hold it down. And if you let it go, 
too it won't go off which is right um but i i we know a couple guys that uh they hunt with hinge like myself i've used a thumb release man for a long time um but like every once in a while i'll go back to a hint like go back to a hinge release just because like you said it it just snaps you out of like you 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 really have no control of it once you get to a certain point in your draw cycle that yeah it, it definitely it's a good way to get out of that target panic if you're suffering. Well, I from. think, I think with the hinge, what concerns me is because it is tension activated or rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, when you're so jacked up on an animal and you just pull really hard on that, on that, on that, you know, your back wall, if, if you're like, just cause I know from shooting enough tournaments that if, if, if you're really hard in the back wall, you're already starting to rotate it. As soon as you let off that, uh, your fig, your thumb on the peg, it could go off. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm scared of is like just being so overly jacked up that I draw, you know, cause I pull really hard on that bow. And it's funny. Cause I remember when I drew on war pig, I had no anxiety be- other than I was nervous. I had no anxiety. Like it drew back smooth. I settled in because I think I had enough time where that tree was that I had enough time to kind of collect my wits, lined up my peep, lined up my, my pin, all that kind of stuff. And it seemed like with the, with the deer, I didn't have that. I was yeah. like, I was rushed. And when I was rushed, I was just making terrible shots and it was forcing me to just blam. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't, you weren't having time to, to just like mentally think about your thought, your, your shot process. Right. And, yeah. and coming from like coming from a big 3d background where you have all the time in the world, right. You draw back, mm-hmm. you settle in, you take your time, you, you make sure that, you know, the everything's lined up and then you release the shot mm-hmm. while you don't, can't do that. So my target panic stemmed, I guarantee it. Cause I, I think I, I bet, I'm not even kidding. I'm, I'm not even embarrassed to say, it. I bet you I missed seven bucks this year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's not like me. Like I'm, I'm pretty, I'm usually pretty consistent. So. Yeah. Especially hunting those mule deer, uh, or you, they're, they're such a cagey animal that, yeah, you, you, you can develop it or just like, you gotta be, you gotta be quick and you got a lot of times it's just draw and shoot. And, uh, one thing about the, the back tension release is that, yeah, like, you're moving around lots too in a hunting situation, especially here in the, like in BC, like you, there's a lot of times when you'll be at full draw and you, you might, you know, the animals moving, you might have to make a small s- slight adjustment up or down, or, you know, you're shooting on a side hill or, or on a hill with elevated feet or elevated right. angle. So yeah, I mean, myself too, I, like I said, I, sh- I shoot the, the back tension, but man, hunting with it. And I know we've had guests on this show and they, they talk about shooting it. And to me, it's just like, yeah, it's just, a little bit slip or not and plus it's nice being able to if you need to you can just punch it if you need to if you have right. to force it you got to force that shot or you got to move a little bit then you can just punch it but yeah the back tension it's nice to have but uh but yeah i've never definitely... tried one but i would like to try one to see if i can beat out any tiny uh bad habits that i have that i don't realize like mm-hmm. you know unless you're grouping super tight and you know you know like there's there's days well i'm no different than anybody else if days are brick, you can wrap your hand around all of them. And there's other yep. days you're just like, what the hell is going on? And going back to the fundamentals. And I've, I've talked to Kevin a little bit about it. And it'd be nice to go back to that hinge, which I've never tried, but I've, I've read lots about it. I've talked to lots of people who have used it. It seems to that going back to the basics. And, yeah. and well, it yeah, you, eliminates you... all that other stuff. You know exactly when. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't know exactly when it's going to go off. But you, you know, you, like you have to go through the proper process to get it to go off. Well, you you're know, pulling that, through your shot is what you're doing. 
you're yeah. you're essentially pulling you're forcing in order to make the shot you have to pull through the shot and that's the thing you there's no if you're shooting a wrist strap then you're gonna you know you could punch the trigger even if you're shooting a, a thumb release you can still like i've seen guys who sit there and they're like they yeah. smack that they smack a rather like essentially like when you're shooting a a thumb release you can do the exact same motion that's what i do i pull through my shot i'm doing the same rotation as i do if i'm using a hinge that's why i like switching back and forth just because you shoot it enough you, you just you unconsciously you get lazy right you get lazy yeah. and you just like you do small things but if you constantly if you every once in a while you go back to that back tension you you get the right pull through motion and then you just quite right away apply that same technique to your thumb release and you're doing the exact same thing so yeah. the so the way you shoot it is the is the reason that i got so much anxiety so the so the way i kind of like because i looked into it so bad it like there's really it's kind of like firearms and i've taught so much firearms uh at being a cop and um mm. i've taught you know thousands of hours of remedial to at the police college um archery and firearms are you know shooting the gun and the pistol is almost the exact same so there's really two types of what i would consider you know target panic or or which is being afraid or or anticipating the recoil even though the recoil happens after the you know the shot's done so that's what most people are afraid of they're like they blink and they snap the trigger right because they're they're afraid of the recoil but the type of that i had is basically stemmed from what you you do the way you do it so everybody that shoots a thumb or even a hinge that are you know really good shooters they say they shoot it like a back tension mm -hmm. just like you said you pull through it and you basically allow the you know the you allow it if it's a thumb you'll you allow it to to hook on your thing and you pull and it sets it off so that's what was happening to me i was using uh index finger for for um shoot for for hunting but i was using a thumb trigger for 3d and target and so i was like oh i want to be better i got to do this pull through like everybody says and and i mean i wasn't punching before but i would put my thumb on there and i'd just slowly put pressure on it till it went off and um so then I started messing with things where I'd wrap my thumb around it and then I was pulling through it. And so what was happening with me is when I was pulling, like I said, nine out of 10 times, it broke nice. But on that 10th time, if it didn't break, you know, cause I'm pulling so hard, I pull myself off the target and I couldn't, I couldn't stop myself. I would just shoot and I'd be like, you know, three. And I think that's where my target panic stemmed yeah. from. I couldn't control. I couldn't say, let down, you fool, let down, you fool. I couldn't do that. I just, I let it go. I had to go. So that's, that's the kind of target panic I was. It wasn't that I was anticipating the shot. I was like, pull, 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 pull. It's not pulling. Bang. I'd yeah, let it, yeah. I'd make it go off. Yeah. I've seen a couple of guys uh, have issues with that too. When they're, when you're talking to them about shooting and, what they'll do is instead of like a back tension and then pulling through their shot, they're just going like this. Right. And they're not allowing their wrist, like they're not allowing that rotation enough so that the thumb, the thumb release actually rotates in their hand enough to activate the trigger. Right. And then what they'll do is they'll just pull through and they keep pulling, pulling. But the problem with they're doing that now, what they're doing is that the string now everything's getting offset because they're actually pulling through the back wall. Right. They're actually right. pulling through it. So, um, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I tell them too, like, no, like you're going too far here. Like, okay, like draw back, draw back or hit that thing or do something here. We gotta, we gotta reset you're doing. The and that's what I went, I went through a little bit of this today. Like when I sent you that last picture there of my 80 yard shots, I was doing 60. I was telling Kevin, my shots at 70 and 80 were actually better than my 60. Cause I was starting from 60, just practicing cold shots. Like 
first shot of the day in hunting season. You never know how far it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't happy with my groups. It's not that they were that bad, but it, definitely not normal. And then I started realizing that, yeah, it was, it was totally, it wasn't my anchor, but it was from when I got my anchor set mm-hmm. and my process from there back, I realized I was just, I wasn't doing it properly. And then I stepped back to 70 and I was like, just fresh start. I'm going to have a little, I'm going to have one round of fun and then I'll go back. Well, man, my, my group went from this at 60 to this at 70. And I did a bunch of seventies, just practicing that exact thing that you guys are talking about, just rolling that wrist and everything and keeping that thumb locked in place. And they just started going off naturally. And even my 80 was actually my best grouping. When I did that, it was like a five inch grouping at 80. And I was like, I'll take that right now. Mm-hmm. Like after you, what? When you shoot a hinge, like I'm like you, I've, I've never shot a hinge before. So that, like you have to get over the anxiety of, well, one, they always say punching yourself in the face or because with a thumb or even an index, you can draw sloppy and you don't have any, there's no repercussions. But if yeah. you draw a hinge sloppy, it's already partially rotated. Soon, you know, as soon as you get to a point, it's going to go bang. Mm-hmm. And that's where people punch themselves. So once I got over that first anxiety of like, you know, every time I, I hook my hinge in, I was so scared that I'm going to rotate my wrist or something like that. Once I got over that, I will say, um the you care less about the pin and more about the target now like Mm -hmm. you know and that's what they always say you let your pin flow don't get all stressed out about your pin because um i'm trying to think of who was the big archer that came up with this but they said that if you look at your pin and how it floats like if you can track it it's in the center more than it's not in the center. So if you can consciously think about, just forget about it, because it's your mind is bringing it back to the center, bring it back to the center, bring it back to the center. But guys can't do that. So if it's wobbling around there and it's here and they go, and you know, it takes a second to compute, smash it, boom. That's why you get those really wicked misses Mm -hmm. because they, it takes a second. But if you care less about that, apparently your subconscious brings the pin back to the center more than you think. And that's what I found with the hinge. It I don't have that anxiety about blamming it off. I literally, so, yes, there's the first little while I would be sweating bullets because I'm pulling, 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 pulling. Nothing's happened. I'd let down. Where I never let down before, and uh, and so it taught me to let down. But the biggest thing now is you get into that click, and now you know what to do. And I don't have that anxiety. So. Um, I there, I learned a lot by going with the hinge. I would like to hunt with it, but I just I I'm scared I would I'm scared I'd be too jacked up, pull it back, and it would sail thirty yards past them or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. understandable. Totally yeah, no, understandable. I get it too. And like I said, I I shoot a hinge quite regularly, and I shoot um you know it I I have I would I wouldn't be hunting with one by no means, but uh, yeah they're they're great to have, and that's why I keep telling Pete he needs to he needs to get one just they're good to practice with well Um, you said it you said yourself there's times where you have to punch it mm -hmm. you know there's no two ways about it and you imagine well i i shoot in in regina here we get lots of wind and i go to 3d shoots and guys with hinges outdoors or you could tell that the stress on them because they're the wind is blowing them they're wobbling around and i mean Mm -hmm. you have to you don't know when it's going to go off so it it stresses them out whereas there's times where in the wind you got to punch that thumb release you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've shot thumb and finger and I can honestly say 
punching, if you want to say a controlled punch is a lot easier on the thumb. Cause I, I find like my hands already in there. It's a lot less movement for me to just kind of squeeze it together right. as I'm yep. pulling back versus this motion. There's so much more motion in that versus just a, mm-hmm. a tiny little squeeze in my opinion, anyway, like for me, like I've yeah. shot both and I can definitely tell when I force it one versus the other and yeah. the well, thumb and is totally yeah. controlled. Well, and even more so with like a back tension, cause it, it, it really forces you to settle into like, or just to like be more involved in your whole draw cycle because you, right. you can't like, if you have a wrist strap is the most forgiving because it's held onto your wrist. Do you know what I mean? Like you literally, as long as you're not hitting that trigger, there's it's the, it's the strings going back with you no matter what. Yeah, I right. mean, you have a handheld, there is chances that it could slip out of your hand or you could, you know, squeeze too hard and hit the, hit the thumb button or whatever. And then if you're using a back tension, I mean, all it takes is a little bit of a pull, you know, you're basically, if you pull, like if you're pulling with your index fingers, most of with your index finger, you're good. If you pull a little too much with, depending on the size of your, your back tension, you pull a little bit with more with one of your other fingers, it's going off. Like yes. It's going to snap off on you. Yep. So yeah. the, the what, one thing that I had to, so, you know, YouTube's awesome, but it's all, it really can confuse you and overwhelm you too. So the, the, the hinge, I wanted to learn to shoot it properly. And I mean, I shoot a lot of competitions. So uh, quasi pro type shooters are there and I watch how they do it. But so I Googled a lot of on YouTube, a lot of the ways of, of shooting it. And the hinge is, is kind of neat because you can shoot it so many different ways and you can get yourself all screwed up too. Cause I mean, if you think about a hinge, they call it back tension, but it's really not back tension. You have to have rotation of yeah. that, of that. And where they get the the back tension is, is, is as you pull, it just naturally rotates your wrist. And that's what they call back tension. But you say it yourself, you, you can pull a hinge in with the, without rotating it, it's not going off. You're, yeah. You could pull your brains out because that's happened with a hinge lots where your muscles tense up and you, you're pulling, but you're not rotating and you're like, Oh my God. And like, you're, you feel like you're pulling your brains out. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, so there's that way. There's a, there's true, like where you kind of dip your elbow down and pull back and it rotates it naturally. And then you can somewhat quasi command it, right? You can just mm-hmm. like that. The way I do it is, um, uh, I'm trying to think what was the other way that, oh, the other way was, um, oh, shoot, I've drawn a blank there. There's a third way of 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 doing it, which is, uh, oh, um, relaxing your your index finger. Mm-hmm. So that's the third way. So you, 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 you pull with the thumb and your index finger, and then when you get in there, you kind of relax this and just mm-hmm. the, the relaxing it rotates it. That's the third way. I started with that way. It actually, it was really, really good. But the problem is when I got into competitions, I, my muscles weren't working. Like I felt like I was relaxing that index finger, but it wasn't. And then I was stressing out. So I basically had to go back to the drawing board with the hinge. And I think I do it the way it's supposed to be. I, I draw, I take my thumb off, I get into my click. And then what I do is as I'm drawing, i just kind of curl that, that, mm-hmm. that pinky. And that just causes a natural, mm-hmm. um, a rotation, I think. And it goes off nice and crisp. Yeah. So yeah, that's what you, I do too. So I shoot a two finger back tension. Same with my thumb release. It's just it's regularly a three finger, but I cut the third. I only like using my two and I do the same thing too. So when I'm drawing it, it's only in these two fingers, but essentially I'm just ro- I'm rolling like, 
like I'm rolling like that at the same time. I am slowly letting tension or like pressure off of this finger as I'm rolling, just so it doesn't get hooked there. But I mean, it, it's different for everybody and you're going to like, you use it a few times and you find, you find what works best for you and what's most comfortable for you. But yeah, it's definitely, it's one of those tools to have the, like they, they have them and they sure are great, especially for getting rid of any. Cause I mean, like everybody goes through an issue or a, a stage doesn't matter how much they've shot when you have a little bit of like you you just get that little antsiness to like to just to pull through your shot right to finish the cycle so i mean when you have that with the back tension that's why i keep telling pete he needs to he needs to get one because he this year he went to uh, a thumb release his first year um well no this is your second year now i guess yeah i got it last last summer yeah and yeah i mean what a difference i mean it, it's my shooting's improved a ton because mm -hmm. i could really focus on on my mistakes. I, yeah. I knew instantly when I'd done something wrong, I may not have been able to figure it out instantly, but as soon as the arrow went off, be like, I either screwed up or I didn't. There wasn't <laughs> like, Oh, what happened there? It was like, no, something went off from point A to point B end of story is all. I me. think, I think if you get a hinge release and you're working with what you have right now is the right combination because everybody that shoots a hinge and goes back to a thumb, they say they have that, they, they sort of cured that anxiety. And I think if, if you're struggling a bit with the hinge to get it to go off crisp or sorry, the thumb, if you go to your hinge, but you still like your primary release is your thumb. I think you're going to, I'm just right now, I'm at the point where I don't want to go back to a thumb just yet mm -hmm. because I want, I want to, um, make sure that this is kind of over. I'm, I know I'm not, I'm not cured, but I think if I go back to the thumb too quickly, I'm going to go back to my old habits. But in your yeah. case, if you're shooting well already and you just kind of want to clean things up, then your hinge is basically just a training aid for you. And yeah. it'll, it'll help you um, when you're, when you are shooting those shots, so I'm looking forward to going back to a thumb, tell you the truth, but I'm just, I'm just, I want to make sure that um, I've got this hinge mastered before I do that. Yeah, and once you get it, once you shoot a bit with the back tension, like with the back tension release, man, it, like I, I'll shoot, and I'll I'll find where I go days, 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 just shoot my just shooting the uh, back tension. Like I just, you know, you get into the groove, and it's just you start feeling that not that natural process, and you just really like it. And then you go back to your thumb, and then like instantly, you just well, got to make sure, like you're just doing the exact same thing, but you're just replicating it over and over. And that's why I've like customized both my releases. That so they're pretty much fit in my hand the exact same way. One's got a button, the other one doesn't. Well, what well, one still has a button there, but it just it's it's firm or it's uh it's part of the release. You can't push it or anything. Well, I'm super impressed with some of the manufacturers. They're making the thumbs and the hinges the exact same yeah, hand nice. uh, angle and stuff, yeah. so that you can go back and forth because traditionally you couldn't, right? Yeah. And now, like Stan, for example, I know that they have the Onyx. Uh, that's that's you know, they're, they're exactly the same, except for one's a hinge, one's a thumb that makes life so much easier. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a, a few reps now or a few manufacturers that are doing that. So I think Ultraview do, does it too. Yep. But, uh, yep. Yeah. No, they're... that's one thing I like about my Carter. I don't, I don't know what they make for hinges and stuff, but I know with my Carter, not only can I rotate the barrel, obviously, and that can mm -hmm. micro tune a little bit, but mine also has an arm that I can micro tune or that I can tune first. It's kind of like a macro. Mm -hmm. So you can adjust it kind of all the way up here. And then, you know, you can roll it back and then it's like, okay, that's comfortable. And then you can go to your barrel and then you can kind of micro, like really micro tune it into your, well, your, everybody's hands are different, 
but you can get it just to fit in there just right. Right. Which is what I, it's yeah. not like a one movement. It's actually two positions that you can totally adjust, which mm-hmm. I like personally. So Mark, you were saying you, you hunted with a wrist strap and then you just always shot thumb release at your three at the tournaments. Yep. Well, I've hunted with all of them. Uh, yeah. I killed, I killed a bear with, uh, two bears with thumbs, two bears with wrist straps. Um, but yes, that's how I, I always hunt. The reason being is I liked the connection to your hand for the release. Right. I, I, I did have a Stan perfects that had a clip on it that clipped on the loop. And I love that for bear hunting. But when you're crawling around for mule deer and stuff like that, I, the, I didn't want to lose my thumb release. Mm-hmm. So I always just stayed with the, with the wrist release just, for that connection to the to my body okay yeah i was gonna ask you why what what uh what the reading was but uh, yeah i guess that's a good one and i always used a in hunting i always use a tournament wrist release wrist release oh, yeah. it was true ball execute i think mm-hmm. I, because i i had it set for exactly my you know trigger press and stuff like mm-hmm. that um that's what i shot shot war pick was was that with that tournament uh wrist release but um um I have, but I, for the last three years, I was a thumb shooter for 3d. Right. Yeah. But then I wanted to improve my scores and I just got it in my head that I needed to pull through the shot. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, Oh, you're punching the trigger. I'm like, well, I sure don't feel like I'm punching the trigger, but I probably was. And they're like, Oh, you got to pull through and you pull through just like a back tension. Well, I, it got me so confused that, like I said, if it, if I, the problem is, is tension. If I, mm-hmm. if, if, if I'm at the house, there's no tension, I can shoot all day long and have it go just like, like a snap. But as soon as, you know, you're making a 50 yard shot on a stupid javeline or something in a tournament and uh, there's tension, that's what's a killer was with the thumb. So that's why the, the, the hinge is so good because now there's no, if, as long as I keep moving through the shot, I, I don't have any anxiety whatsoever. Did you have any issues with just like punching the trigger? Cause there's world-class shooters that do, they punch the trigger. And I mean, Ed, you know, they win world-class tournaments. No, I was just basically what I do is I would just basically touch my thumb to the barrel. And then I, tried to just slowly just like a slow trigger yeah. press of a gun yeah. i just tried to like that and but everybody would like everybody like oh you're punching the trigger so then they like you got to wrap your thumb around it and pull through well mm-hmm. it was just it would just it, i think it was more confusing than anything mm-hmm. um you know and i was but, like what were you comfortable so were you comfortable the, the way you shot before without pulling yes. without yes pulling through yeah yeah, yeah well so, so if you like and it was just because you felt like you had to do it. That's why you switched. Because yeah, I mean, I, the thing about archery is archery is unique and archery is mostly opinion than actual anything else. And mm-hmm. archery is just, if you can do the same, if you can manufacture the same process over and over and over again, you're going to be a good shooter. And like, you look at some of the shooters in the world, like world-class shooters, they do stuff that a lot of people say they shouldn't do and they win tournaments. Well, that's why I say it was a bit of a head game because, yeah. because people were telling me to be better. I had to use back tension. Yeah. And so I was believing them and I knew I wasn't shooting back tension. Mm-hmm. So then when I started trying to teach myself to shoot a thumb with back tension, um, I was like, is my barrel the right angle? Am I, is it, is my trigger set to a proper, you know, tension like i was it was just really messing me up and i maybe could have went back to the shooting the way i was before but i i i had it in my head that i had to shoot back tension if i wanted to be a better mm-hmm. archer and uh and 
you know, that's just when Joel Turner's uh, shot IQ was coming out and, and he, it's all of, for him, it's all about constant movements, keep moving, moving, moving and not punching a trigger. And so I was, I was just buying into this whole, had to shoot it with back tension. Right. Now I will say after it's what, four months now I've been shooting the hinge. And I mean, I shoot in the house kind of like what you do. I mean, I shoot in the house every day, probably mm-hmm. as much as I can. And I will say that I have absolutely zero anxiety. Like mm-hmm. I don't worry about it going off accidentally. I don't worry about like my biggest thing is now is I want to teach myself how to have balance my bow a little better. So I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit steadier, but it one, but I have no anxiety. Like it's, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, good job. That's good to hear. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, Pete, you got anything else for Muck? I think we'll wrap it up. We've been chatting here for an hour and a half, so no, thanks for coming on again. Always love yeah, your stories. It's always and, great uh, to have you on, buddy. Yeah, it's uh, thanks for having me. Uh, you all, that's for me. I just it's, my whole life's about stories. I don't know. I just love yeah, it. Well, hopefully good. we well, hear about another one here coming up this yeah. season. Yeah, that Vico. It's yeah. you know it's <laughs> funny. You you obviously know what Vico is, right? You know the I don't term. Know. You no. don't know what the term Vico no. is. No. Okay. Well, so Vico is a Saskatchewan thing for chocolate milk. Oh, is that and, right? And, oh, really? Yeah. So, <laughs> Hence the, I get it now. so, so, um, that's why I was calling him, we call him Vico because it's chocolate milk. He's the color of chocolate milk. Yeah. And it's a strictly a, it's strictly a Saskatchewan thing for growing up as a kid, you buy the, you know, milk jugs. They actually said Vico, V I dash C O Vico. And, uh, and so, uh, when that bear came in, it was Darren actually that's called him Vico. And so it's just absolutely perfectly fitting for him. <laughs> that is now that, now that we know what it is. That, that's hilarious. <laughs> I don't ever remember hearing that when I lived oh, out there for four yeah, years, but that's Pete, you should know. No, that. no, 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 no. Not a Sask boy. I'm a mountain boy. Well, I just it, spent some time out there. That's just, all. <laughs> just literally when you have a second Google Vico um, chocolate milk, it's, I think they stopped making it probably eight, 10 years ago, but through my whole childhood, Vico. That's it. Oh, hey, all the schools funny. had Vico. All the schools had that's white awesome. milk and Vico. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay, buddy. Thanks for coming right. on. And right. uh, yeah, thank well, you very much. Uh, thanks, fellas. I know we talked about it last year, but we'd like to get you on. Uh, we're kind of going to do a little bear, bear series here, and then, but we're going to do one on mule deer. We're going to do one on elk. So when we get into the elk conversation, it'd be good to get you on and go over some calling techniques. And uh, like you mentioned before, in the last time you're on, you're a, you're a big time guide out here in British Columbia chasing elk. So yeah, we'd love to get you on and talk some elk. If you guys like Big Buck Magazine, the the story of War Pigs in there this spring issue. So if you got if you guys okay, like cool, Big Buck, yeah, I'll throw all that stuff awesome. up in the show notes and and uh, and the film and where you guys can watch the film and all that stuff and obviously links to your podcast and uh, well while we're on the conversation, why don't you just plug your podcast and let the listeners know again where they can find and follow you yeah we just darren and i just started it again i took a uh, kind of a year off but it's all outdoor all outdoors with buck simons uh just moving to the you know to the platforms here right away so um yeah i'm excited to get started we took about a year and a half off Mm -hmm. and you know darren was super busy so yeah it's tough to fit it all in lives get lives get lifey it does yeah Okay, buddy. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. All right, fellas. Great talking to you. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to the Focus Hunting Podcast. Coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. I want to take a quick sec and make a huge shout out and say thanks to the sponsors of this show, uh, starting with BC's premier archery shop, Hardcore Archery, located right here in Kelowna, British Columbia. 
um, AKU Boots. They've uh, they've been supporting the show for a while now. Uh, both Pete and I, we've been running these boots for well over a year. You know, hunting in BC, we face probably the harshest backcountry environment in the world. We got deserts, Rocky Mountain, extreme coastlines, you name it. Uh, and these are the only boots that have lasted me more than one hunting season. So you know, they're definitely worth the investment. You owe it to your feet to uh, use AKU Boots. Uh, use promo code FOCUS and get 15% off right. Uh, they're probably going to cringe because I always pronounce the name wrong, but uh, it is what it is. Onyx Maps now available in Canada. Stay tuned, guys. We've partnered up with Onyx, and we're going to be getting you guys some more information on Onyx and their mapping system for Canada. Uh, for those of you in the U.S., you've already got access to it and most likely been using the app. Pete and I got early access to this app, and to be honest, it rocks. Um, but like I said, we're going to get you more information on that, and we're going to be able to get you guys a little bit of discount. Um, so lastly, if you guys could please leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening. We really appreciate the support. Love you guys. Until next time. Thanks. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.